Welcome, fellow baseball fans, to episode 59 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily show from Baseball Perspectives. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am proud to welcome back two friends of the podcast and uh, two prominent members of the Banish to the Pen crew. I've got Nick Strangis and Matt Jackson on the line with me today. Uh, what's up, guys? Welcome back. Thanks, Ryan. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Happy to be here. All right, guys. Uh, we kind of do the same thing every week, but I'd love to have you guys introduce yourselves to the audience, to those that maybe aren't uh, as familiar with you, either online or uh, your work. So... Um, uh, how about we start uh, alphabetically? We'll start with Matt. Uh, Matt, uh, Twitter handle, where they can find your work, who you're a fan of, and everything in between. Sure. Uh, I'm a fan of the Kansas City Royals, so still defending world champs. Doesn't matter what's going on this year. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Sontagu, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-T-A-I-G-U. And uh, I'm a Canadian. I now live in Ottawa, recently uh, emigrated from Toronto, Ontario. Okay, for the American in the audience, um, so you weren't a Canadian before, but now you are? Uh, still a Canadian, but now I live in the nation's capital instead of the province's capital. Uh, it's, very com- it's very complicated stuff. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to bore you with I it. I mean, my geography is awful, but I was like, wait a minute, they are in the same country, right? I'm not missing something. <laughs> so. No, yeah, still Canadian. Well, uh, Matt, welcome back. I'm glad to have you on, and... Uh, Nick, uh, same question for you. Just introduce yourself and uh, share what you want. Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Caps Orphans, and I only write for Banished to the Pen, so you can find my work exclusively at BanishedToThePen.com. And uh, I'm a big fan of the Cubs and uh, to some extent also the, the Twins. Uh, and you can see me tweeting about the Braves from time to time because I, I live in Atlanta, so I will uh, try to keep it short and uh, cut it off there. How is the Cubs uh, and Twins? That's the highest of highs and lowest of lows. Right? Yeah, yeah. You get to you get to feel both ends of the of the curve. You know, when they did a Effective Wild podcast, they had Aaron Gleeman on and Alex Remington, who are prominent bloggers for the the Twins and the Braves. Uh, they had them vote on who which franchise they would take earlier in the uh, right before the season started, I guess. And unanimously, they all took the the Twins. I think actually. And I was completely in the opposite direction. I, I think it's much better to be a, a Braves fan right now with where they're taking their their team as compared to I, I don't know the Twins are lost. You know they they need somebody new. Um, so how's, we'll see. How's the Atlanta Stadium coming about? How, how is it? Is it on schedule? And is it going to be the nightmare that everybody's projecting? As far as I can tell, it's on schedule and it's going to be a nightmare. So uh, just traffic at that intersection is not getting any better. It's at two of the the major uh, interstates where they intersect in Atlanta and um, traffic around the stadium is already pretty bad at rush hour. So when you, you know, try to fit, uh, you know, 20 to 30 some thousand fans on any given night into the same area, I think it's just not going to go well. Um, The parking situation isn't really exciting from what I've seen. Um, And I, I think that the stadium is closer to where, tickets are sold around Atlanta to the north side of Atlanta where there's more population in terms of suburban wise but um, it, it's going to be a big deal and actually funnily enough uh, the county commissioner who sort of made this deal with the Braves got voted out of office recently he lost his uh, 
I guess it was his primary, I want to say. Um, so it's, it's, you know, made waves in a lot of ways with a lot of people, not just in the city, but where the stadium actually is. It's, it's, um, very complicated issue. So it sounds really popular is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as you can tell, um, they're not happy about the money they gave up to get the stadium, you know, in terms of the overall package, not just like direct money, but what that cost them. And Atlanta fans, you know, people in Atlanta aren't happy about seeing the Braves leave. So people are mad at the government and they're mad at the Braves. I well, just my- wait till they see what you have to give up to to deal for a closer once they're relevant again. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> if they aren't happy about this, they're not going to be happy about that at all. Right. Just wait until they try to bring back Craig Kimbrell. Uh, <laughs> be, uh, I was going to say, I, I thought Michael Vick was a heel down in Atlanta. Good Lord. Yeah. So He's uh, got his fans still, uh, <laughs> sadly enough. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Nick, I, I think the place I want to start is uh, let's start with your Cubs and maybe the biggest trade of the trade deadline or near the trade deadline and the Aroldis Chapman deal got kind of the reliever market going and I think reset most of the reliever market in some ways. Sure. It's, it's a, uh, you know, I think it's at the table in ways. I thought everybody believed that the Cubs were getting ripped off for a rental as good as he is considering the Yankees didn't have to give up an arm and a leg for him in the off season because of the uh, domestic abuse or domestic, you know, disturbance. Um, and so I'm, I guess happy to see that Andrew Miller cost a whole lot and then everybody else costs something. I mean, um, Will Smith, you know, got a pretty good return for the Brewers. So that lessens, you know, the, the impact. I'm still a little upset. I think a lot of Cubs fans feel like the, the issues that are all this had in the off season are still unresolved. And it's just a little concerning to acquire a guy who has those kind of problems, um, putting aside, you know, any kind of criminal investigation, just, you know, we know that he basically walked, I guess, into a garage and fired a firearm a few times, and that's a little, you know, a little disturbing. Um, I think we would have been happier with maybe Andrew Miller um, or somebody else, but um, he's certainly very good. Um, but I, I don't think it makes what happened with him and, and what's going on with him go away. And uh, most of most of the Cubs fans I know that I'm friends with are, aren't really happy to see him on the team, um, even though it, it certainly made them better. Um, and it was a huge surprise because look at last year they acquired Clayton Richardson and uh, uh, Richards rather, and uh, they added uh, yeah Trevor uh, Cahill. Cahill. Yeah, you know those are their big big relief at arms that they added. So um, pretty shocking to see um, you know both Jed Hoyer and Theo Epstein involved with that big of a deal for a, a half season of a closer. How was the reaction of the fan base aside from the off the field issues? How was the how did the fan base react to the trade, you know, the actual baseball part of it? I think the baseball part of it, people realize that this this makes the, the bullpen a heck of a lot better. Um, it's been an area where they've they've kind of quietly struggled, I think. Um, they can't find a left-handed pitcher to get out lefties. I mean, Travis Wood is, is fine as a reliever, but he's no specialist. You know, he's not the guy that you put on the hill um, when you need, you know, two outs and you've got two runners on. Um He's a nice guy to bring in in the sixth inning when you're you're not ready to go to a you know high leverage guy yet, but um, the game's so close. Um, but you know, obviously Chapman is is going to be closing, I think mostly, and um, he certainly you know is going to shut the door in a way that like uh, Hector Rondon or or Pedro Strope, I think you know they're pretty good pitchers, but um, 
the dominance isn't there the way that it is with him. So I think we all realize that what we're getting is something, you know, baseball wise, you know, pretty special and um, pretty historic, I guess, if you look at what he's done, um, you know, in terms of velocity and effectiveness. So uh, you're, I, I will just say yeah. the whole thing feels pretty greasy from front to back, though, from the um, from the the Yankees kind of rolling the dice on how long his suspension would be and, and um, kind of adding surplus value that way. And then, you know, just bringing somebody in who seems pretty unapologetic about the whole situation and, uh, and almost defiantly. So um, I just mean, I, for both sides, it feels like there's kind of I don't, shameful is too, too strong a word for it, but I, I just say it just feels greasy all the way around. It's, it's definitely not a trade that's, got me thinking i still don't know exactly how to deal to think about it but i i do know that it just makes me uncomfortable kind of from front to back do you i mean is it weird to you guys that the former red sox front office and now you know are trading this much with the yankees i mean they already have had a couple deals go back and forth between them um, well yeah they they traded it was the uh they traded warren for uh starlin in the offseason mm-hmm. and then yeah. uh, and then didn't seem to know how to use adam warren or he for some reason pitched terribly there and um, seems to be back to pitching fairly well and limited work back with New York. Yeah, I actually think he's a sleeper in the deal. I like Adam Warren. I, I think he was a nice kind of quiet pickup to get back for, for the Yankees. Yeah, definitely. I, I like it as well. I just, I, I'm not sure what happened to him. Do you, um, Nick, did you have any thoughts on kind of why he struggled so much? Not really. I mean, he did go on the DL briefly. And so it makes me wonder if he maybe was battling something, um, you know, that, that he was trying to work through that, but there's no real inside information. There's no, you know, jewel of a, you know, piece of information that I've been able to read, um, you know, with, with all the Cubs bloggers out there now, um, and all the coverage they get, um, it's fascinating that nobody's been able to really point to one thing with him, of why he just kind of fell apart this year for the Cubs. Um, and, you know, strangely enough, like the, you know, Rodas Viscaino was a guy that they, they acquired a long time ago and didn't pitch very well for them. And he's been pretty good for the Braves. They sent, you know, sent him back to the Braves. So I don't know. It's funny with relievers. Is there something wrong with the Cubs? You know, the way they approach them is maybe a question, you know, that we should keep an eye on um, because it's kind of uh, sink or swim. It seems like uh, with a lot of their relief pitchers. Yeah. Cause they did so well with Richard and Cahill for a little while. Anyways, now Richard struggled, but like you say, it has been a lot of sink or swim. Yeah, I do. I think the other sleeper move that for the Cubs is picking up Mike Montgomery. Um, you know, part of the uh, the original Royals and Rays deal that brought James Shields um, to the Royals in you know the off season before 2013, and uh, you know he's been kind of bouncing back and forth um, from the bullpen to the starting rotation in Seattle, and now um, you know probably solidified himself as a as a as a um, loogie in the Chicago bullpen, probably for the rest of this year, I, I think that's a great trade. I think he's going to be really versatile if they have an injury, and uh, and you know just, I mean the the Jays last playoffs showed just how important it is to have a left-handed arm and the pen that you can bring at any time, and how that really hurt them um, both against the Rangers and against the Royals in the DS and ALCS. So I think the the Mike Montgomery trade is just really, really good playoff insurance for them, um, to having him in the, there in the bullpen. You know, uh, he's not a capital C closer, but I think uh, I think he could be possibly one of the 
more um, influential players come to the playoffs. And Matt, to build off your point uh, before you know Nick responds, uh, I thought the Joe Smith deal, another small kind of subtle deal that uh, you know sidewinding righty hadn't pitched that great this year, but I think he could you know find some success pitching in the sixth inning for them as well. I thought that was kind of a shrewd you know buy low gamble uh, for the Cubs as well, in kind of a similar vein. Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. Um, giving them just a different look off the mound, um, switch things up when things start to go a little bit sideways in the playoffs. Um, bring him in to face a batter or two. Um, I, I agree. I think he he's not a big strikeout guy. He's not going to come in to do that, but he could come in and, and get you a double play to end an inning or uh, you know to limit the damage. Yeah, it's really funny. The MLB trade rumors, like one of the opening lines about the trade was Smith, a 32-year-old righty, has been okay this year. <laughs> and I mean, that's <laughs> that's the best you can say for him as far as this year. But, you know, cheap, he doesn't get a lot more money uh, at the you know, on the rest of his contract, and it doesn't cost him a whole lot. So why not go ahead and just rebuild the whole bullpen that's been the, I guess, the main weak spot on the team this year? Because uh, it's not defense, and it's not hitting, and you know, you still got Arietta and Lester at the top of the rotation. And, yeah, and uh, with with Fowler yeah. back, I mean, where yeah. where are you going to add? You 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 don't have enough positions for everyone to play as it is. Sure. Um, that I I think there there's really no. You're going to bring in a bench bat, maybe somebody that hits you know, thirty times going down the rest of this uh, down down the stretch this season, and uh, and maybe a couple pinch hit spots in the playoffs, or you can bring bring in a bullpen arm. And yeah, uh, the get Cubs, the starters out of there when they when sure, things sure. start to go south. Yeah, I think the Cubs could have picked up like a Josh Reddick. I mean, they're still using Chris Cog, uh, Coglin right now, but um, you know the outfield is pretty crowded. Their position player side is pretty crowded, and um, you know Josh Reddick can't help you, you know, shut down a, a sixth or seventh inning. So I think you know they got to keep some prospects for the future, um, and this certainly. Um, you know, looking at what Reddick and and uh, Hill brought back for the A's, um, I wonder if maybe they were just looking to to do something else and not just you know get a little something for Reddick, but actually bolster their their farm system. So um, I'm totally happy with with Joe Smith, you know, coming in and not really costing the Cubs much as far as um, salary or or future prospects. So are you happy as a Cub fan at you know three hours past the deadline at, at what they did uh, to shore up the oh, team? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the funny thing is they brought a great team into the season and, you know, they just attacked their one weakness right now. And not only right now, but with Montgomery, they certainly uh, you know, bring in a guy who they're going to be able to keep around, hopefully. Maybe he does continue to to get back to a little closer to what people thought of him when he was a prospect, you know, with the velocity going up as a reliever and getting a chance maybe to focus on his best, best stuff rather than spreading yeah. himself thin. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get another shot at the rotation in spring training next year. Um, I think he's still got one more shot in him, but I, I think for the rest of this year, yeah, he's, he's going barring injuries. Um, he's he's going to be a pretty he's going to be a pretty good reliever. All right, I think that's uh, maybe a good place for us to uh, transition as well um, onto several of of the other big deals. I, I think the one we, the next one we got to touch on is probably Jonathan Lucroy going from Milwaukee. Finally. Uh, vetoing a deal to Cleveland and then ending up in Texas. Um, Joey Gallo, the, their number one prospect, is not going back in the deal, but they did get their number two prospect, Lewis Brinson, number three, Ortiz, and a player to be named later, which with rumors going around is going to be a pretty nice piece as well. So uh, 
Also, uh, Jeremy yeah, Jeffers no, went. No Gallo and no uh, Profar either, which oh, I found surprising. Fantastic point, but uh, and they did get Jeremy Jeffers in the deal as well. So um, uh, maybe Matt, uh, start with you and give your take kind of on the deal. Yeah, um, I mean the Lou Crate. These, you, I'm sure you've heard those ads on a bunch of the other podcasts. Um, is what I've taken to call him. But I think um, you know it was kind of funny him. Uh, the situation with the Indians, it seemed like a done deal, and then um, he wanted the buyout, and it seemed, or he wanted um, his last uh, his option voided, and and they were kind of making uh, making it known that he'd be DHing and and playing first base and not just catching, and then he voids the deal. But the the Indians' losses is, is certainly the Rangers' gain. I think the Rangers had um, maybe a worse catching situation than the Indians. Kind of, I guess that's maybe splitting hairs, but um, they certainly had a need for, for Lucroy. And uh, I think they gave up just a stud in Lewis Brinson. I'm a big, big Brinson fan. Um, I think his uh, center field defense is just, you know, it's off the chains. And and uh, and he could also be a guy that develops that power. I think he could be a, a perennial all-star, um, kind of top of the lineup bat. I think that was a real... A real coup for the Brewers. I think they're gonna they're gonna love his game when he gets there, and uh, and and Jeffress as well. I think is gonna add uh, quite a bit to the to the um, Rangers bullpen. You know, he's been closing games for the Brewers and you know doing a pretty good job. He he allows his share of walks and hits, but he's got the K's and and uh, and he's shown pretty well in the closers role this year. So um, you know, Dyson. Um, if he falters, they've got another guy with that uh, experience that can step right into the role and and fill it more than capably. So I, I I like the deal for the Rangers a lot. Yeah, I mean Brinson reminds me a lot of kind of a poor man's Eric Davis from back in the day with Cincinnati. I mean just that kind of an athlete. You just don't see those kind of guys. I mean high waist, thin, can run, has power certainly to the pull side. Can absolutely pick it, can run and throw. I mean this is a five tool guy if he can put the bat on the ball enough times. I mean, he's a real stud. Yeah. And Luis Ortiz he's, is... He's, he's like in yeah. the top third of everybody's 100 list pretty oh, much this year. Definitely. Um, I, th- I think getting a guy like that, he might be he might be the best prospect moved at the deadline. Um, if things work out for him, I don't see that as being too much of a stretch. No, and Ortiz is a heck of a pitcher too. I mean, he's had... I believe he had a suspension for some kind of performance-enhancing drug, and I know he's had a little bit of a weight you know issue he's got a round belly but uh that that's a really good prospect i mean he's wait which ortiz are we talking about david or well <laughs> luis is not a thin man i mean if you put them yeah, next to each other ortiz thing. it must be an ortiz thing the peds and waste but uh reminds me a lot of uh he'll get the comps to bartola cologne both because of the body but also because he throws a lot of strikes and just pounds the zone and, and with quality strikes so uh, i mean the brewers definitely got two of their top you know, two of the top guys in their system now. And uh, I, I think that they had to, for a year and a half of probably their best player, they had to get a lot. But uh, I give them credit. They got a lot in return for a year and a half of a, a player that was going to, you know, basically watch them struggle the rest of the time he was in Milwaukee. Yeah, I uh, I, I like it for him as well as a hitter. I mean, um, I think I think his bat's going to play pretty nicely in uh, in Arlington. Yeah, that heat might get him, though, on the flip side. But, yeah, I, I totally agree yeah, with you Yeah, he's going to need to sit out a few more games, probably. He's going to wilt in the Texas heat. Oh, my gosh. But uh, yeah. but uh, And I also think Milwaukee did a great job. I mean, as I said, I touched on the two prospects they got there. They also traded Will Smith to uh, 
uh, San Francisco. I thought that was a great deal as well. Um, you know, a smaller deal, obviously, but I think San Francisco got a nice reliever, and they continue to build up their bullpen, as they seem to do every year. But uh, getting two prospects back for him, and t- including their new starting catcher, probably an Andrew Susak, was uh, a nice deal. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, the uh, the Brewers effectively, I mean, it's two different, you know, in some ways different GMs, but they flipped um, Aoki now, basically, to get those, you know, to get that nice return for Will Smith. I think, you know, that was the, the deal originally yeah, uh, a while back. Yeah, exactly right. So talk yeah, about, you know, yeah, talk about trading high, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say buying low, because I thought Aoki at the time, you know, he was a nice player, um, but you get a reliever and, and to flip him like this, you know, way to go. Yeah, yeah there were two two uh, mo- players moving really in different directions. It didn't seem so at the time, um, but Will Smith really, you know, he was blossoming with the Royals um, at the time of his departure, and really just the upswing was pretty dramatic um, over that time. And when he got to and when he got to um, Milwaukee, and then Aoki's just, I mean, he's really fallen off a cliff, and, metaphorically and- speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Beltran, uh, Carlos Beltran going to Texas as well, kind of, I think, rounding out their day. They gave up their first-round pick last year, Dylan Tate, uh, fourth overall. Pretty surprising to see that kind of a prospect go this quickly. But, uh, you know, I definitely think that was a good deal as well. I mean, you know, Beltran has got, what, 20 home runs this year, maybe, twenty, you know, more than that now, and certainly gives them some more power in that lineup. Yeah, he's got 22, hitting 304, um, and he'll he'll slot really nicely into their DH spot with uh, Prince Fielder gone, and you know Sin Su Chu, um, who knows? He's kind of been Mister Glass over the last few years, so <laughs> I, I don't think they can really count on him for anything. Um, but I, I think that Carlos Beltran, you know, not needing to, not having him come in and needing him to play in the field, bringing him in just for his bat. And uh, letting him focus on that, I think, is going to be a really... I, I think it's a great move. Um, again, it's uh, it, Tate. Uh, I don't know the backstory and why they've soured on him um, in just a year, but uh, I think that um, that's something that the Yankees can work with. I mean, their their cupboards are full now, um, and so they can afford to take some gambles on uh, on some more questionable prospects. I think what Craig Goldstein uh, was saying on Twitter earlier was he hasn't really seen Tate develop in the last year. He hasn't, you know, moved as far along as he would expect from a guy taken where he was picked. Um, and so you, know, you got to wonder maybe if that's kind of maybe not the consensus uh, on him because certainly the uh, Yankees wanted him. But um, yeah, it, it's really interesting that that's you know a couple first round picks they've given up now in this deadline to to get ahead and I, I think it, it also makes you know keeping Gallo and Profar around pretty important because you've got two old guys you know uh, that are important to them you've got Beltran and um, and Beltre sitting in that lineup uh, you know could use a few days off could use maybe um, you know could have a short DL stint before the year's out yeah, yeah and having Profar who can just play everywhere is such an asset to have uh, like a true utility man who can play uh, just about anywhere in the field is just is um, with a lineup that's had as many injuries as they have over the past few years. I think uh, I don't think that can be understated going into the playoffs. They talked about Profar, you know, as as being the fill-in at first base. Unaffected, I don't think it was unaffected. Wild the other day, and it just seems so unfair that you have Profar 
and the position that he he kind of has to play because everybody else is playing is first base. Um, that's just kind of sick. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Profar's career. I, I'm happy to see him back. I I thought he was done with that shoulder, um, the way it was lingering. I'm happy to see him back, but it just it seems like he is just a guy that cannot catch a break. He can't catch a position. He can't catch. Uh, you know, um, he his shoulder was it was almost two years I think that he was having, and the John Daniels seemed to question whether he'd ever be able to come back. So um, I'd love to see him eventually end up um, on a team where he can just play short if he's still able to make that throw or, or play second um i'd love to see i'd love to see him eventually get that chance to play every day at one position yeah great point uh we've mentioned the yankees a couple of times in this answer i think we'd be remiss if we didn't at least bring up goodness it's probably the first time in all three of our lives i think that the yankees are true sellers here at the trade deadline at least uh, certainly i was i was, I was kicking in 92 well, I was uh, I was kicking as well, but I don't remember what was going. I think uh, Alvaro Espinosa might have been at shortstop at that point. So <laughs> I, I was ten as well. I don't remember anything about it. Uh, I, I just know that bad. that's the last time they were bad at this time of the year. But I sure. think it's it's crazy to me that uh, they're still right around five hundred, a game under, game over, depending on how they've done recently. But it's amazing to me that I mean, wow, if they really turned over their their farm system, if nothing else, in term and their bullpen and what 72 hours you know four days whatever it is yeah i was saying this to you before we hopped on but i really think this is an opportunity the way they've built up their farm system um for them to finally get under the salary cap and and stop paying those crazy um luxury taxes that that they've been playing the last paying the last uh several decade maybe um i think it's finally a chance for them to uh start from scratch the way they did uh before their first dynasty when they kind of had a a lot of those homegrown talents coming up through the system um and then you know when they're in 2018 2019 2020 they can start picking off the uh, machados and harpers and trouts as they start hitting free agency um and be able to do it without paying just an insane taxes on each of those contracts. So I think um, I think it's a real coup for their franchise, and I, I think that it, it's going to serve them well in the long term. Well, and they probably, if Lewis Brinson, who we mentioned a minute ago, isn't the best prospect that got traded, it was probably either Glaber Torres or uh, Clint Frazier, who they received uh, in the Chapman and, and uh, Andrew Miller deal separately. I mean, those Clint, are, Fra- Clint Fraser's so close to. I mean, he could come up now, probably. Um, and he could be a center fielder long term. I was worried he was going to be pigeonholed into left because of Bradley Zimmer's spot in Cleveland. But, I mean, he could be a real legitimate five tool center fielder. And maybe he's not the greatest of defenders, but I love the way he plays. I mean, he literally plays with his hair on fire. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really fun to watch. I mean, I watched him is go. That for, a, is that a ginger joke? It actually isn't, but he just. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I saw him once. He went for a foul ball, and he had just come back from injury, and I saw him. This was last summer, and he's trying to catch a foul ball, and he dives into the wall in right field trying to catch a foul ball, and, and they were up 8-1 to one in the seventh inning. It's like the ultimate time where you just tell the guy, let it go foul, let it go foul. Instead, he goes headfirst into the wall, into this chain-link fence, and doesn't catch the ball, and you're just like, what are you doing? But, well, when but that's Clint there, Frazier. He, he, yeah, Harper's there. He can teach him how to slow down and pick his pick his moments. It, it, it's um, very the one great point, comp, you've though. seen him play. I haven't seen him yet. Um, I've seen a little bit on you know YouTube and some highlights. Is his bat speed as crazy as everybody says? Uh, I think it's gotten to be a little 
hyperbolic, but yeah, I mean, you notice it and you know that he's got well, I mean, it's much faster than the average guy, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's not an 80 and you're like, you know, it's the fastest thing you've ever, it's not Gary Sheffield, but you sit there and you don't need to be a scout to be like, wow, he swings the bat fast. Cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited. to. See, I think that bat is going to be pretty cool in that park. Yeah, I'm, it's a little unfortunate. Left field's just so tough at, at Yankee Stadium, but it, he could be a real, you know, 25, 25, so maybe 15 to 20 home run, 20, 25 steal kind of guy. I mean, I really like Frazier a lot. Yeah, him and Brinson in that outfield is just, un, it's going to be unfair. Yeah. So he pretty much definitely moves Judge to like right field, right? I mean, that's that's a done deal then. I don't think there's Judge any way Judge right. couldn't be a corner outfielder anyways. He might yeah, even be a his size. Yeah, I don't know what his current injury is, but he's just so big. I mean, you don't see six, seven guys in center field, and, and he's huge. I mean, it might I, be fun, but it's probably not advisable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but I do think that he probably ends up being a league average type. He he's the kind of guy that the Yankees traded ten years ago as a prospect to, you know, at the deadline in this kind of a deal. Sure, but uh, a lot of power. So, uh, all right, who else should we talk about? Who else? Do, oh, I wanted to. Uh, Sorry about that, but I wanted to. Uh, I got to get uh, Nick's opinion on the Atlanta swap, um, getting Matt Kemp and trading away Hector Oliveira. Uh, I cannot tell you how excited everyone is to be done with Hector Oliveira. Like people tried to convince themselves so hard that that deal was going to work out for the Braves, um, and I even was a little bit of an apologist for uh, John Capolella because I think he's really smart, and they got a couple relievers in that deal, but. Um, when you're talking about a guy who didn't hit very well, you know, before he came over, he was hurt, um, has not hit well or been hurt the whole time he's been here. And then he gets, you know, popped for a half season suspension for another kind of strange, you know, domestic dispute. We don't know exactly what happened, but it clearly wasn't good. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, Matt Kemp is not, I don't think he's ever going to be Matt Kemp again. If you look at his stats, they pretty much are in a straight, you know, down into the right direction uh, if you look at him on a chart. But um, I think fans are happy to, you know, see a guy they know at least. Um, and, and, yeah, maybe he adds, maybe they find something, a platoon spot for him or something, and he adds some right-handed power to the lineup. Um, it was weird to see John Capolella announce his his acquisition and, and basically just put it as we needed a right-handed power bat and not say, like, Oh, we we are excited, you know, that Matt Kemp, who once was almost a forty forty player, uh, is coming to Atlanta. Um, it's just strange to see Matt Kemp go down this path. Or so mention quickly. that he traded for this right-handed power bat twelve months ago on, on the theory that this was going to be the right-handed power <laughs> oh, bat. Yeah, and and Oliveira, like when I watched him play, I thought he just looked rusty. Like it looked like the the bat speed was actually okay. I mean, I'm not a scout, but he was making contact. He just it was like he was getting a late jump on everything. Um, you know, like a guy who has barely played baseball in two, two and a half years. But um, obviously, I mean, the guy was 31, I want to say, when they acquired him. Like, what are you going to really expect out of that um, for someone, you know, coming to the States for the first time playing Major League Baseball with, with, without really getting that good warm up in the in the minor leagues um, and, and fighting all the different battles that you've got to fight, you know, in that situation? Um, yeah, it's funny because geez. they've been so good the last ever since they basically burned everything to the ground. They've been so good in the trades, and, and they've been so understandable. And that trade never made sense from the time they made it. Yeah, yeah it's because they didn't make it with the Diamondbacks. 
Yeah. Good point. Um, Touche. Yeah. <laughs> I um, mean, that's been their main source of, of prospects. I just have to ask, I, I didn't miss, did Nick Marcakis or Jeff Francoeur get dealt over the deadline? Did, did I miss that? No, I think Atlanta was quiet. So that's, they have those, those are three outfielders that the Braves have now. Is yeah. Nick Marcakis, Matt Kemp, and Jeff Francoeur, the all 99 team. Yeah, plus they, they, they still have, you know, Enciarte and Malik Smith, so they've got like five outfielders, um, you know, on the on the active roster. Um, oh, yeah, I'm pretty I sure. those are three terrible outfielders. Oh, oh yeah, sure, yeah. And uh, I like, and Malik Smith is at least fast. But... Yeah, he can play outfield, but yeah, <laughs> three guys that can't play defense and, and can't really, I mean, Marcakis is basically hitting singles at this point. I know, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure um, Ryan loved him at some point, but I, I don't have to tell you that he's kind of, you know, stick a fork in him almost at this point. Uh, well, that there, was... he was rumored to be coming to the Royals, um, Oh, fascinating. At one point. And I was just like, why? We already did the Jeff Frankwer experiment. We know how this ends. And he's on the hook until 2018, too. I mean, that's some dead money. Yeah. Well, yeah, and last time you guys had him, you you know, uh, Dayton extended him to that, what was it, two- or three-year deal um, <laughs> after he had, like, half a good season. <laughs> so <laughs> that was actually him. scary to you that, like, Moore was going to go crazy again. Yeah. No, I definitely – I it was a kind of a flashback. I've seen, I've seen this before. Yeah, I have a feeling that Francoeur probably moves in the post, you know, waiver period where the Braves maybe just give whoever the money to take them and, you know, try to work in more guys at the major league level. Um, as the season moves on, they're going to call up guys. So they'll need some roster spots. Um, I I think he just, I don't know who takes him. I think he just gets DFA'd. He's, oh, really? he's got that, he's got, well, it's a cheap contract. It's just a million over the year. But I, I just can't see a contender that really would need his services other than bringing him in maybe to be like a like a Raul Labanez was for the Royals in 2014 or like a Johnny Gomes in 2015 just kind of like a um a let him leave him in the bench and on the clubhouse for the playoff games and let him rally the troops but um otherwise I just I just don't know that he has I don't think he's got the game to help anybody out right now yeah I mean I guess like he's played for the Mets before a long time before anybody on the Mets I guess though was actually there so I was thinking, like, maybe they, you know, he's a guy they know, but probably you're right. I mean, he doesn't really help anybody. Kind of like uh, a Kelly Johnson type where they just keep bringing him back. Yeah, yeah, just repeatedly trading for him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, another thing that the Braves, you know, did well, I guess, this year was uh, packaging guys. Um, and being creative, back to what Ryan was talking about, a lot of deals, they didn't just grab a couple prospects, they also grabbed you know um like Juan Uribe and that very weird uh trade last year um and uh, yeah, picked up Cameron Maben that I, I really hope for the best for Maben he just it turns out he is what he is but um you know they've been pretty creative and I thought maybe Marcakis maybe Francoeur like you said would would get pushed off somewhere even if it meant paying some money uh, in the process, because they got to pay the money anyway. And Nick, to that point, uh, I wanted to a little bit about this trade was, and we were talking a little bit off air, and you made a great point of kind of comparing it to an NBA trade where we see guys just dumped for money. Uh, do you think we're going to start seeing more trades like this in, in baseball? I, I've struggled to come up with another player that's similar to Matt Kemp with that kind of money, or a guy like Olivero with such a unique situation. But 
you know, we almost saw it with Ubaldo Jimenez in, in Baltimore. I just, do you think that we're going to see more trades like this, just dumping money, you know, maybe for prospects as a way for teams to try to build up their farm systems in a, in a unique or a new way? I mean, I only think that it, you may see more of it because it's something teams haven't tried in the past. I think it's been maybe seen as a little bit like disgraceful or shameful to, um, you know, basically yeah, dump money or, or buy prospects like you, you you're you not good enough to get them you know the right way but now that the door is opened and i think it really started uh with bronson oreo and you know coming to the braves and then they gave him a uh, great to point basically yeah um and we saw it a little it, bit today with uh, the liriano trade particularly really yeah, late yeah i i saw that comp comp made to the i was just scrolling on mlb trade rumors and the, you're right that was kind of the comp for the for the liriano trade giving him and then um harold ramirez and reese mcguire um and uh and giving those three up for you know drew hutchison yeah and i mean reese mcguire is not you know not somebody to to give up on it at all obviously so neither no, is he's, a, he's a he's a yeah. great defensive catcher yeah yeah so i mean that that was significant um at seeing the twins and the angels swap guy i mean to some extent they were swapping players i guess that weren't working out for them but the angels uh saved some money and they got alex meyer in that deal who could be a you know a good reliever um it, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do with him because they're they're terrible but you know at least they got something out of the deal um and Nolasco, who is a guy whose ERA has always been better than his FIP, and then you go to, to L.A., maybe, you know, with their defense, uh, maybe they can help him out. So, but, yeah, exactly. They're, they're, this is the only frontier that we haven't explored, right? I mean, teams have tried, you know, gaming the draft in every different way, way for years, and and also, uh, you know, amateur free agents. Um, we saw what happened to the Red Sox trying to game that system, and this is maybe the one frontier they haven't really you know, pushed on. And I think, you know, I, I'm curious with the Royals, um, you know, as they kind of move forward, you know, and, and some of these guys start to uh, come up to the end of their um, contracts, will the Royals, you know, try to eat somebody's contract in order to get a player that can help them, um, you know, with, with them being kind of this mid-market, small-market team? Um, the so they were actually kind of on the other end of that. They were the rumors was that was that they were trying to package uh, Wade Davis along with uh, and before Wade Davis tragically blew out his elbow. I was going to say um, that was the literally maybe the not next blown terrible out, luck, but, man. Yeah, that was. Yeah, the, uh, you see the prices that closers are getting in the off in the at the trade deadline, and then uh, and then he's getting an MRI on his elbow, and and you just you know, it's it's pretty poor timing. It's it's not what you want, but. Um, I mean, it seemed like the Royals were more on the Diamondback side of that, of, of giving up um, somebody who could get you a lot of assets, packaging him with somebody who's, you know, virtually worse, worthless. Um, well, not that's not true. It, Kennedy hasn't had an awful season, but he's certainly not... Uh, he's certainly not going to be opting out of his deal, I don't think. So putting those two together is kind of... The Royals would be more on the Diamondback side of that trade. Um, but kind of back to your point of the NBA and the NFL, I think the big difference... Um, in those situations is the the nature of the salary cap. So um, in those situations, teams need to get under a, a hard cap, whereas um, in baseball, you can always choose to pay that luxury tax. So I think that's what maybe why there's it's been a little bit um, less frequent to happen. So it's really just uh, ownership's willingness to um, to throw money out the window 
rather than um, kind of being strong armed into getting getting under the uh, under a hard cap that is my sense of why it's not happened quite as much in the major leagues. Do you think uh, Wade Davis would have gone had his elbow been healthy the last week? I, I would have hoped that he would have. Um, I was on Team Cell for sure. Um, I think that uh, this isn't their year, and it's kind of hard to see things turning with this current group. Um, I mean, Moussakis comes back with a full recovery, and he's maybe you know slightly above league average hitter with a playing good third. Um, Hosmer doesn't have much left. Like Hosmer is talking about wanting a two hundred million dollar extension, <laughs> um, which seems to indicate that he'll be hitting free agency. Um, I, I think in twenty eighteen uh, or after twenty eighteen, um, and kind of the same. Everybody's on the same timetable for the Royals, so these contracts are expiring in the next two years for pretty much everybody. Um, so I'd like to see them make the deal where they can get the most assets when it's pretty clear that that it's not going to happen this year and you've just got one more year with this core i would have liked them to see i would have liked to see them pull a yankees and pull the sh- shoot a little bit too early rather than turn into a cincinnati reds and pull the shoot way too late um and th- i think we've seen the reds hold on a little bit too long to their core and uh and it's really hindered their rebuild in the way that um you know i would fear would happen with the royals uh if they go down that path interesting take uh, I, I think uh, I, I'd like to move ahead if I could a little bit here, and I, I think I'd like to try to do a little uh, rapid fire. Is not the way to put it, but just a little bit of who you think the losers were at the trade deadline. If you think there were any teams that didn't do enough or didn't get enough, or you think lost, frankly, um, uh, I'll start with either guy. I, I guess Nick, uh, let me start with you. Any losers at the deadline? Uh, I think the White Sox really didn't do enough. I mean, they they, they were fairly quiet considering all the talent they have on the team they did get a nice deal um you know for their closer but um that's a team that just kind of keeps you know continuing to settle for mediocrity and uh my white Sox uh friends are are not thrilled right now with where their team's going and and not even you know probably less so after the the trade deadline so i'd go with them and i i'm, I'm still unhappy with the twins i think that they're a little bit rudderless they made a couple nice deals, but I don't see them putting together a strategy that's going to help them get out ahead of like the Indians or even the Royals or the Tigers. So um, I, I would put them on the you know the wrong side of the deadline at this point. They still have Irvin Santana um, and a bunch of other guys that aren't get, helping them get anywhere. Yeah, I think you make a good point about the White Sox. I, I'm surprised they didn't sell David Robinson I th- or Robertson. Pardon me. I thought that that would have been a really shrewd move to clear some of that money and get you know a prospect or two back at this point and move some of the guys that they have you know perhaps into that bull- into that closer spot and i think sale is tired of being there is what it almost looks yeah. obvious that he's got like one foot out the door he's kind of acting out right like it's uh, like a child that's ready to go somewhere else and, and i don't mean to say it i'm not saying that to be like that was probably a bad, poor choice of words but he just seems like somebody who wants to be somewhere else like you said and maybe it's time to let him go i've got a i've got a two-year-old i think it's a pretty appropriate uh, analogy. <laughs> I see a lot of the same behavior. Um, the temper, the lashing out, the disproportionate response. I mean, cutting up the um, uniforms is the most childish thing I've ever heard. I mean, realistically, in the last five or ten years uh, about a baseball player. I mean, that's just absurd. I know. I love that kind of drama. Like, I love when those stories are breaking, but it's just one of those things where you, like, put yourself in that position. Like, what? Like I like obviously we can't because we're not um, we're not anywhere near we've never played in that 
uh, we've never had those stakes on the line, that much money, that much frustration, maybe, I don't know. Um, but we're still all human beings. And, you know, thinking about um, what it would take for me to take a knife to a closet um, is just, it's kind of like... It, I think he had to go uh, around and collect all 25 a, jerseys on top of it. I mean, this was a lot of effort to go do this. Yeah, no, like after the first or second, I would just be kind of like, you know, you'd snap out of it and like, what? am I doing? I'm a grown man and I'm, you know, I'm throwing a temper tantrum, but it seems like perhaps he's got more resolve than the rest of us. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why he made it the big seed, big leagues with a, a stretched out fourth graders body. I mean, he is, uh, and the crazy response to the Drake LaRoche stuff earlier in the year too. Anyway, I, like I said, I mean, I, I think that's a great call. I think the White Sox definitely are a clear loser and, and they seem to be a little bit rudderless was a perfect word. Well, well said. Uh, Matt? Um, I, I find the loser category has been tougher this year. I don't disagree with the White Sox. Um, I mean, you and I were talking earlier, um, before we came on, Ryan, about the Nationals, and, and um, I guess maybe I'm a little surprised they didn't do more. Um, I think, uh, I think kind of in the position that they're finding themselves, leaving the division, um, that they'd maybe make a push for another bullpen arm or two or or like a Jay Bruce type player. Um, I guess I could have seen them doing more. And someone I thought would do more that didn't was uh, um, Seattle. I don't know. I feel like they're a team that's seeing their window close. Uh, Felix Hernandez, um, he's not getting any younger. And, uh, and, you know, Taiwan Walker's kind of seems like maybe he's where he's going to be for the rest of his career. I wouldn't ma- rule out him kind of pushing it to the next level, but I think that, you know, Nelson Cruz, Bob Cano, um, Kettle Marte being out, not de- not making the Zach Cozart deal work. I feel like, I, I know that they're five games out of the wild card and that they've got Houston and Detroit to climb over, but kind of expected them to make a push for it because they've been kind of hanging around in this same position for the last few years. And I, I guess they traded Joaquin Benoit for Drew Storm, but that was just kind of like, My I don't know. For your he, trash, we thought right. he'd be good and he wasn't. Yeah. And so you want to switch? We've each got one of those. It was kind of one of those like lateral move tra- change of scenery deals and not really addressing a need. Um, right. So I guess I, I, I'm a bit surprised to not have seen them do more. Yeah, I, and I liked the Vogelbach acquisition for them long-term, but as you say, I, I'm surprised that they didn't do more in the intermediate or you know in the short term to try to get better i think that's a great call yeah uh, i guess they're kind of halfway between buyers and sellers and maybe that's a really tough position to deal with um when you need to it's easier to make no decision than to make a decision so um yeah i, I guess i can see why that didn't happen and th- but they're so they're like a half game in front of the yankees and the yankees blew it up yeah and uh and and they just kind of stood pat so um, I would have liked to have seen them move in one direction or the other, and I, I think what they did is uh, is is kind of what the Royals did, and I would consider the Royals not to have done great at the deadline. It's just to have kind of a, a mediocre team um, who's got kind of an, an eye to the postseason, possibly, um, but probably not likely. I, I think that's a situation where you need to you need to kind of decide whether you're in or out and move accordingly. Well said. Um... For me, my losers are the entire National League East. I think every all five teams failed. Uh, I know Atlanta had a tough spot a little bit, and I did like the Kemp deal, but uh, 
they should have sold anything they could have, and I still think Tehran should go. Whether it's now, whether it's in the offseason, I think Freeman should go. I think anything that isn't bolted down. And like I say, getting rid of Oliveira was a good move, although bringing him in in the first place was a mistake, so you're kind of cleaning up a mistake you made already. Uh, And I'm not sure what Kemp does. Uh, I think the Phillies really dropped the ball not trading Hellickson and getting something for him, not capitalizing on uh, Genmar Gomez or however you pronounce him. Uh, Carlos Ruiz is in last year of his deal. Borges, I think, might be hurt, but maybe a team wants a fifth outfielder with some speed. I I might even shop to Neris and and the other uh, reliever that they have that's, that's been good this year. I mean, uh, for them to make no deals is just inexcusable to me when they had three or four guys at the end of their contract that had some value. Uh, That's a really good call. Yeah, I I, I can't uh, disagree with you on that. I thought the Marlins failed. I didn't like their trade for, and, and I know some of it's unfair because Ray got hurt and had to go back in that bizarre issue that we didn't even mention that we didn't even <laughs> yeah. get to. The most Marlins yeah. thing Which ever. was completely bizarre, but they needed two or three arms, and they needed good pitchers, and instead they got Kashnar, who's very inconsistent, and now no Ray. So, to me, they're everybody, a bit... Everybody talks so much noise about the uh, the Orioles and them, uh, kind of, their physicals process, but I think the, the Marlins could have learned a little bit from the rigor that they put into that to get somebody and then tweak his elbow and then to be incensed that this is... They, they felt like they were given damaged goods. Um, like, I... Well, and it's very weird. I I genuinely don't know. Do they not do physicals on these trades? Or do they just look at medical records? They look at the medicals, but, you know, they also sent a guy, the guy they sent to the Padres for uh, Fernando Rodney, who just came down, has to have Tommy John surgery. So it's a little weird that they had such a reaction to that, yet they sent somebody with damaged goods. Right. Kind of my point exactly the same. So uh, I think the Marlins lost. I don't really get the Jay Bruce trade with the Mets. I mean, I think they have enough corner guys. Uh, Right. I mean, I think he's a great hitter and definitely is a good piece for that lineup. But giving up Herrera, who, you know, was such a big deal and they weren't going to give up him and he was a big part of their future, then they deal him. Now they got four or five corner outfielders. And really, I think Granderson's the best of the lot, and he's the one that you're kind of replacing. I I didn't understand that move. I thought they could have used them bullpen if they were going to do that. And I think the Nationals, I don't want to club them too hard because I think Melanson is, was probably one of the better gets at the deadline in some ways in terms of the cost to acquire him for you know, what they got. But they still need another bat, I think, and they could probably use another bullpen arm. And the fact that Melanson's price was, I hate to say the word cheap, but didn't take away a lot of their top prospects or any of their top prospects, left them with the ammunition to go out there and buy a Steve Pierce or a Joe Smith or an Antonio Bastardo who went in a kind of a small deal for John Neese. I mean, some of these guys that really could have added, you know, maybe not a great player, but a nice piece to their team to see them go for such, you know, very, very small prices. It it was pretty frustrating to me as a Nationals fan. Yeah, I totally agree. And I I, I do also agree that the Melanson price tag was, I mean, shockingly low compared to what the other um, closers on the market went for. But I think that they're in the position where you know at this point that you're going to the postseason. I don't think there's really much of a question about that. It'd be a, a Mets 2008, well, not that bad, but it'd be a, quite a collapse to to miss the playoffs at this point. Um, and I think that in that position, you really just, uh, and I think the Royals showed it last year, is that you just push all in if you're going to the postseason. Um, totally and, agree. And you take your, I mean, you not it doesn't work out for everybody, but I think, um, I, I didn't have a problem with, 
with uh, looking back on the James Shields trade, you know, missed the postseason in 2013, uh, went to the World Series and lost in seven in 2014. And that deal was a huge success for me because they kind of pushed them into relevance and, and into the postseason. And I think for the Nationals who have kind of been so unfortunate um, with their own luck and, uh, and some of it they made themselves um, early on protecting, trying to protect Strasburg. But I think the Nationals having had as little postseason success as they've had and to see their um, window at least um, starting to close, that this was the year for them to really to really make a move. And I think it's, it's an opportunity lost. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them pick up a few more... Um, bullpen arms and a bench bat at the uh, after uh, and during I, the non-waiver or and, during the waiver and i think you nailed it because i i don't want to come down too hard because i could certain i think they've done it each of the last three years they've made a trade in august so i, I would expect that again and, and i think there are plenty of guys that'll get through waivers so i don't want to be too tough but when you've got you didn't give up any of your real top prospects and and still have you know eric fetty austin voth Andrew Stevenson and and you know you can just go down the list of you know 20 guys that you could deal it, it, it's a little frustrating to me to see them not try to add you know a bat and, and at least I'm not talking you know Chapman or Miller but it, but you know a Joe Smith I don't think a Bastardo I mean a, a you know somebody that you can gamble on a Daniel Hudson a Tyler Clippard I mean I don't think any of these names would have been cost too much to to acquire would have been too right, unreasonable I mean, who was acquired for nothing just to get a reliever to fill in the blanks you know for right. the Yankees. i mean gosh uh, so yeah and with how hudson how poorly hudson's pitched over the last month or so sure. I, I can't assume there was much competition there yeah and i think uh i i think i mean i got in a little twitter skirmish with uh jerry krasnick about it i <laughs> saw that that was cute by the way he definitely <laughs> called you out that was nice oh yeah Nice. <laughs> he, he he was trolling me, man. Um, but uh, yeah, so I just think nobody was interested in Hudson. You could have had him for a song, and you probably still could. But I think the thing about um, about the, the about the non waiver versus waiver deadline is it's a, a lot like um, signing someone to an extension and not letting them hit free agency. Um, is that once they have to pass through waivers, there's just a whole another layer of unknowns, um, and there's um, might be teams that could use them that are behind you in the standings that will jump up and and grab them, or there might be teams that are just trying to block you from getting them that jump up and and put a claim in on them. So you're really at the mercy of of any team that's behind you in the standings during that period. Um, so I, I think that yeah, lots of things could happen from now on in, but it's going to be a lot more challenging to make them happen. Yeah, I, I think that's perfectly well said and. Uh... I think maybe that's a good place for us to wrap the show this week. Um, guys uh, covered a lot of ground. I know we could cover probably three more hours and get into some more deals, but uh, uh, I think let's uh, let's sign off kind of the way we start every week. Uh, mention your Twitter and uh, where they can find your work. So uh, start alphabetically like we did. Matt, say goodbye. Well, thanks for having me back on. It was good to talk to you, Ryan and, and uh, Nick. Um, again, Twitter, Jack Santegu, J-A-C-K-S-O-N-T-A-I-G-U. Um, I'm technically writing for Beyond the Box Score and Royals Review, but I've been derelict in my duties the last couple months, so I'm going to be back on the wagon soon. We, we just moved uh, to a new city, and we just got ourselves set up. So i um, looking forward to getting my words back on the page. Um, pretty soon, and in the meantime, uh, in the meantime, there's a lot of quality, other, a lot of other quality writers at those sites to check out. Well, congratulations on the move, and uh, very much appreciate you coming on tonight. Thanks, man. It was uh, fun. Nick, 
same thing. Say goodbye, my friend. Yeah, definitely. Thanks to you guys. It's been a, a fast hour, uh, and uh, my my home for writing is uh, banished to the pen.com. Uh, you can find a couple things that I wrote recently about the twins and about, uh, I surveyed the effectively wild list, uh, listeners to see, uh, how locked in fans were and, and how happy they are with their teams right now. Um, and my Twitter handle is at caps orphans. Um, and, uh, thanks again for listening. You would have seen my Nats fandom go from very high to very low from three fifty nine to four Oh one today. So, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do a follow up. I'm really curious to see where people land. I would be that would be a great one. I'd love to see what those results end up being. That would be phenomenally sure. interesting. So, uh, Nick and Matt, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you clearing some time on a Monday night, uh, just a mere couple of hours after the trade deadline, to uh, cover everything that was the trade deadline. And uh, I hope to have you guys on here uh, sometime in the uh, near future. Love it. I'm happy to be back anytime. Be well, guys. Be well. And that was episode 59 of the Banished to the Pen podcast with my good friends and guests this week, Nick Strangis and Matt Jackson. I want to thank them for joining me and uh, helping me cover the MLB trade deadline just a mere couple hours afterwards. So, uh, wow, we could have talked for a lot more time, but uh, crazy day. And uh, I was really glad to have those guys help me break everything down that went on. So thank you guys. Uh, one quick reminder, if I might, uh, I, I just want to give a quick thanks and a shout out to everybody involved in Banish to the Pen, whether it's the writers, the editors, the technical support staff, and everybody in between. A lot of people working very hard for a very, very solid and well done site. So, uh, well job, or well job, job well done, guys, and uh, keep up the good work. I am Ryan Sullivan at NatchGM.com on Twitter, reminding you be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>